0: The bastards are back for this Tuesday edition of the podcast. We are a part of the minute media podcast network. Just a quick disclaimer for any first time listeners. This is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When the Red Sox are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling I am Charlie Smith coming to you from Providence, Rhode Island. You can find me on Twitter at Smith underscore MLB. Our podcast can be found at Bastards underscore Boston. A lot of underscore use for our crew. Smith underscore MLB and Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight, as always, we have the one and only Jason Kelly coming to us from Canton, Massachusetts by way of Westwood, Massachusetts. Jason, how are you? And where can the fans find you?
1: I'm doing pretty well. Uh, fun weekend of baseball for once. Um, fall is is quickly coming, so best time of year is is right around the horizon. That's great. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at color of the iris, and that is color spelt the English way. O U um, R. The queen is dead. Long live the king.
0: Great. And before. Uh... Before we get into the show, I, I know that uh, Jason, as a, a longtime Brit and uh, fan of, of England as a whole, I'm sure there's something you'll like to add. But we'll, we'll also introduce our third host this evening, Terry Cushman, also joining us from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, all the way from Wyndham, Maine. Terry, how are you? And where can the fans find you, sir?
2: I am excellent, as always, trying to navigate these final few weeks of a painful season, though looking forward to the postseason. But got some hot takes tonight. Uh, fans can find me on Twitter, uh, at Cushman MLB. No underscore in mine. Oh, changing up. I like it.
0: Uh, so I think at this point, before we begin our hot takes, uh, Jason, I'm kind of, I'm just going to give you the floor to say anything that you may have wanted to to say on behalf of uh, the late queen that had just passed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sad day. Um, again, she reigned for over 70 years. Uh, one of the longest reigns ever. Um, queen Elizabeth was just beloved by, by everyone in Britain. And I, I know it's hard for people in the States to really kind of wrap their heads around it. Um, This is not the same as like a president dying because the president changes every 48 years. Uh, She was on the throne for 70 years. And, um, you know, a lot of people have differing opinions on the monarchy and um, I know that a lot of people are against it and there's, you know, there's obviously a lot of controversy surrounding it, but at the end of the day, um, Queen Elizabeth had a really impressive reign there's a lot of great things that she did that people will conveniently forget. But uh, yeah, it, it, it was, it was a tough couple of days and um, Britain is entering a new era with King Charles on the throne now. And um, it's, things are going to change. It's going to be a little bit different, but uh, that's the way it goes, you know? And, and I think that it's interesting that like Britain hasn't had to go through this for, like I said, 70 plus years, they haven't had this happen. So, um, you know, tough, tough week for the British people, but,
0: uh, you know,
1: we have a King on the throne now, so press forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I sadly did not know that there was so much negativity around it and, or seeing so many people that were cheering that and that's just a shame. Naturally, you know, all life is precious for those that haven't done anything bad to the world uh and i don't know how many you know as jason had had coined the term monarchs in our lifetime that we've done papers and read about that have reigned for over 6 decades so it was quite an incredible time for her and and one, one thing that i liked was seeing the photo that we saw from you know, 2022, 2012, 2002, 1982, 1972, 1962, all of the time that she reigned about how she she did it so gracefully and then also aged like, you know, without being disrespectful, she aged like a fine wine. She was always so elegant, so classy in everything that she did. And it's it's going to be a weird a weird time because, you know, in our next generation, it's going to be, oh, wow, so what was it like during the queen. Oh, well, you know, she was around for our parents' age. She was around for our grandparents' age. She was around for all of us in our thirties, our forties, and some of us in our late twenties that remember it. So a remarkable time, a remarkable era, um, unfortunately has come to an end, but, um, peacefully, you know, um, this, this is, this'll be a, a, a testing time for England, but as always, they will find a way to persevere. So with that, We are gonna get into some hot takes this evening. So with our first hot take, this is coming from Around the Diamond podcast at Around the Pod. Chaim Bloom wins baseball executive of the year next year. The Mariners win the West next year. Well, I'm gonna start off by saying I'm gonna struggle if I say that the Angels are gonna win the AL, excuse me, the AL West three years in a row. I've done it twice because I can't pick the Astros. I will be picking the Mariners next year because I'm not really sure what's going to happen with the Angels, even though they have one of the most dynamic two-way players in all of baseball. I'm probably going to lean Mariners, but maybe depending on what beverage I have that night, maybe I'll forget and pick the Angels the third year in a row. That being said, Bloom wins baseball executive of the year next year. The only way that's happening is if the Boston Red Sox re-sign a third baseman that's not very well known, who hasn't really done anything ever in his career. Yes, I'm being sarcastic as hell, Rafael Devers. Chaim Bloom needs to step up to the plate and do what is quite possibly one of the most important things in his tenure as the president of baseball operations. If he is to try to come close to winning the baseball executive of the year, not only does he have to re-sign Rafael Devers and put a quality team together for the first time in three years, he is also going to have to bring this team all the way to the World Series and be more than competitive, more than what we saw in 2022, definitely more than we saw in 2022, but more than we saw in 2021. He will have to work really, really hard. Can it be done? Sure. Will it be done? Only Haim can make that decision. That is what I have for you on that. Jason, is there anything you would like to add or say? Um, This
1: might surprise some
0: people, but...
1: I think one of those is very possible. And I think the other is not. I do not think the Seattle Mariners are going to win the ALS next year. I have never been a believer in the Seattle Mariners. I don't care who they add in free agency. I don't care who their next big prospect is. That is just a choky team with a choky history and I look Julio Rodriguez is a stud. I think that they'll go out. They'll add some pitching this off season. I, who knows what even they do, you know, the rest of this year and, you know, going forward, but I can't ever trust the Seattle Mariners to be that team again. So I do not think they'll win the AL West next year. High and bloom winning executive of the year is actually very possible because The bar's pretty low right now. The Red Sox are in last place. They're going to miss the playoffs. They've had, in some aspects, a disastrous 2022 season. If Haim Bloom goes out this offseason and fixes the bullpen, signs Devers, adds some starting pitching, maybe he even signs Bogarts too. If the Red Sox storm back next year and they come back with a better team and they either win their division or they make the playoffs and go on a deep run. He's going to get credit for that. He'll get credit for rebuilding the roster and fixing his mistakes from this year and, um, you know, building a winning team again. So, cause again, you have to think about what voters are looking at. They'll look at where the Red Sox finished this year. They'll go, okay, they were in last place. And if they make it to the ALCS next year, there you go. He'll absolutely win AL Executive of the Year. So I think that's more likely. I Honestly, I put more money on that than the Mariners winning their division because I I can't ever believe in that team.
2: As far as the Mariners winning the AL West – I'm not quite as pessimistic as Jason is. I think Jerry DePoto is a very aggressive GM who loves to wheel and deal. And um, I could see them being competitive for a little while. Having said that, I think the Astros are going to win the division every year for the rest of my life. Uh, They haven't lost it in a while. They're cruising this year. I think, and I'm actually positive, actually, that they do have the best record in the American league. They're going to be the number one seed. Uh, so the Yankees will, if they get that far, I doubt they will, but the Yankees get to the ALCS. They'll be in Houston again, where Altuve will not have a buzzer again. And I just, I just can't pick against the Astros. Not only have they won the division, they've gone to the ALCS. Five years in a row. Five straight years they've made it to that round. Just an impressive team. And here, here's another fun one for you. I think A.J. Hinch is going back there next year or the year after when his contract runs up. He might ask for a release this year when the new GM comes in because Al Avila, uh, got fired. I think I think A.J.'s going back to Houston and uh, I, I think Alex Cora coming back to Boston is the precedent that will allow for that. Jeffrey Lu now, however, will never go back to Houston. He was their GM during all of that. But uh, So that's how I feel about the AL West next year as far as Bloom being executive of the year. It's a long shot. I think he'll... If we're lucky, he will solve a lot of those issues this winter, whether it's pitching related or contract extension related. And I think he'll have to wait until July to resolve some others. So you're going to have to be healthy this time around and not, you know, go into the toilet as far as players on the IL. But for him to be executive of the year, I think he has to win the division to do it. And, I mean, Toronto should be very good next year. The Rays always, they're going to have Glass now for a full year. Well, I say a full year. He might have innings limits, but they'll have him and McClanahan. They're going to have a talented roster. They'll probably make some sneaky good trades over the winter. Yankees can't rule them out as much as uh, I'd love to. I, I didn't have them as a playoff team this year, so Major L there. But I think the Orioles, if they have a good winter, and they said, they've already said they're going to spend money this winter, I wouldn't be shocked if they win the division next year. So Heim has to leapfrog all these teams to win executive of the year. It just seems like a long shot to me. Could I be wrong? Absolutely. But I uh I think those hot takes are a little too hot.
0: Yeah, it, it, it'll remain to be determined, but they you know, like I mentioned before, there are some additions and transactional moves that need to happen first before anything can be considered. If you don't resign devers, you can go all the way to the show. You're not gonna win executive of the year if you don't resign the best player on the team. That's just me. Uh, if there's nothing else, Jason, do you want to hit us with a second?
1: Yeah. Um, our next hot take comes from Kenneth. Um, his Twitter handle is I am still Kenneth. So he's still Kenneth in case anyone was wondering. Um, he, t- he tweets at us. Dahlbeck will be traded for a reliever and hit 25 home runs next season. Um, I think the first half of that take is absolutely correct. I my first thought you know when it comes to the offseason restructuring the bullpen is Dahlbeck and Duran will be packaged for a reliever Um, maybe together maybe separately I don't know but I think those are two guys that the Red Sox are willing to give up and Dahlbeck some team is going to absolutely want him he'll be 26 going on 27 he's got Power, supposedly, Um, you know, big, tall first baseman can play the position pretty well. Some team in the National League who has just nothing going on at first base or needs a DH or something is going to trade for him. Maybe the Colorado Rockies. Maybe Arizona needs an extra bat. Maybe Pittsburgh, where he sent Michael Chavis. And I honestly think the Dahlbeck trade will be similar to that. They, You know, the Red Sox traded Michael Chavis for – Austin Davis. Now Austin Davis for a time was pretty good. He completely fell apart the second half of this season and now he's a train wreck. So I think that trade ultimately failed, but yeah, I could absolutely see them trading Dahlbeck for a reliever. Do I think he's going to hit 25 home runs next season? No, I do not. I I don't think Bobby Dahlbeck is a 25 home run a year kind of guy. Even if he plays every day, he might hit between 15 and 20 because he just has that raw power, but he's just, he's not a good hitter. He's hes not a good, he doesn't have good plate discipline. Um, I just, I think that he's, he's going to be a platoon guy for the rest of his career for however much longer he plays. 25 home runs, I don't see it happening, but I do see him being traded for relief help. I could absolutely see that.
2: I think I've got the team, and it wasn't any that Jason mentioned. And I'm going through the depth chart right now. I just want to look at this one player that I've never even heard of. I mean, I got one in the pipe. And he's hitting 180 this year. The other guy's hitting 190. All right, so here is my team. Let's see if it's the same as Charlie's. The Miami Marlins, I think. Could be a team. They've got a little bit of talent. I mean, we're not going to get a haul. I mean, we're getting a guy who we're hoping might be able to hold down a sixth or seventh inning after a starter comes out. That type of a reliever. Um, The Marlins have no outfield whatsoever. Not that Jaron Duran is going to be a stud in anyone's outfield, but he would certainly be an upgrade over a couple of the guys they have out there this year, and they, the Marlins don't seem to have a first baseman from what I can tell. Um, ah, crap, my computer's acting up. I'm not going to bother with it. Um, but you know, even if they didn't want him at first, like Jason said, could potentially DH and I don't know. I just think that's a team that you could, you could make a deal with and it's a team that's certainly been active on the trade market in recent years uh what's the lady's name king kim eng i think kim eng, kim eng. eng. yeah yep. so she's their gm first uh female gm and uh i think not only baseball but all of uh professional sports so perhaps heim bloom gives her a call and and uh makes a deal
0: so for me, I think the team that he could potentially go into uh, next year that really isn't going to be going anywhere, really no one's looking at as a deep threat, there won't be any pressure to perform, It's actually the Cincinnati Reds. This is a team that really we thought there was a chance they might lose 130 games this year. They were so bad. They were on pace to do incredibly poor. And what's remarkable is that as bad as the Reds were this year, they still managed to play a little bit better than the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Washington Nationals, almost better than the Colorado Rockies. This is a team that had nobody and started dumping players left and right. They're not the worst team in all of baseball like we all thought they were going to be. Overall, there's, I think, four or five teams that are worse. So you got the, the Pirates that we talked about, the Nationals that we talked about, other three teams, the Royals, the Tigers, the and the A's, who just got completely bled of talent. I could see him going out there. When you look at the Cincinnati Reds depth chart, is there a reliever there that could be of interest to the Boston Red Sox moving forward? I could see somebody like Hunter Strickland, who probably is going to need like a change of scenery, show up and, and be decent. This was the Hunter Strickland that did fantastic as a member of the San Francisco Giants. So I can totally see him getting shipped out for a reliever of quality who's been struggling the past couple of years. Two of his last three years, Strickland's been garbage. You want to you make it three out of the last five? Sure. Four out of the last six? Absolutely. Why not? Strickland's been pretty bad for the last four years of his career. Maybe a change of scenery would be good for him. He is the relieving version of Edwin... Oh my gosh, I can't really, what's his name? Edwin Jackson, who had 17 teams, I believe, in 14 years. Um, Just an incredible feat, uh, or or 14 teams in 17 years. I I might have inverted that. Uh, He had tied Octavio Dotel with 13, so it was 14 teams in a 17-year career, which is incredible. He had a a no-hitter when he walked nine guys as a member of the, the Arizona Diamondbacks. So yeah i think strickland could use a change of scenery do i think he's gonna 25 home runs i don't know about that i i I can't see that part being uh too too legitimate but the first part of it sure I, i could buy into it
2: if he's a dh in colorado maybe maybe yeah that's how you get there yeah well all right uh i must be up right so my hot take comes from March Mazness, who, credit to her, usually has a, a pretty good one that creates some talking points. She says, Bloom will find a way to get rid of Chris Sale in the offseason. Now, the thing that complicates that is Chris Sale has, I think, think a full no trade clause so he can veto any trade he wants and he's got family to the area. And so on the surface, you may dismiss it and say, well, no, he's going to, he's going to exercise his uh, no trade. I think he might not mind a change of scenery and here's why. I can't remember if I gave this take on this show or the uh, midweek, but I used David Price as an example. Starting in 2017, David Price was kind of taking the heat a little bit from the fans because that previous October, he laid an egg in his one start against Houston and uh, had the magic elbow thing uh, crop up in 2017 spring training. And I think David Price got comfortable on the injured list because it kept him away from the fans. He didn't have to worry about going out against the Yankees and getting lit up. And that kind of carried into 2018 a little bit. He he had the fortnight injury with the carpal tunnel and a couple of other weird situations. And I think David Price just didn't mind being on the injured list. Like there was no anxiety and, I think Chris sale has gotten to be the same way when he broke his finger with the comebacker. I made an observation when he came back into the dugout, maybe an inning or two later, he had his hand in a splint. They'd already worked on it. And sale was kind of all smiles with the team and whatever, and just kind of started mingling and, it just seemed like he was kind of relieved he wasn't in the game because he had already given up two runs in a third of an inning and was well on his way to uh, another bad outing. And I just feel like I think he's tired of the insanity of Boston. I think he's tired of the same beat writers asking him start after start, you know, what was wrong? What what are you going to do to fix it? those types of things. And I think in the right situation, maybe he would waive that no trade clause and go to a different town. You might have to get creative with the contract. I don't know if the Red Sox can offload all 50 million that's, that's owed to him, but I think they would gladly work something out. And one example I did give was the Philadelphia Phillies call up Dave Dombrowski. Be like, Hey, it's not working out for him here. Maybe your guys can fix him. And maybe by Dombrowski taking on that contract, maybe we can essentially bail him out of the Schwarber deal or the Castellanos deal, which are similar money. I think those are around $20 million a year. Sales getting paid 25 for the last two. Um, so I just feel like it's not the most far-fetched thing ever. That Sale could be pitching someplace else if Bloom gets highly creative.
1: Is it completely far-fetched to say that Chris Sale could be traded? No. Um, I agree. I, there's always a possibility. Um, I don't believe there's such a thing as an untradable contract in any sport. That being said, for sales is a little bit of a doozy and is <laughs> quite quite an albatross of a contract. Um only two years left though. See, well truck has them at three.
2: There's a, an option, I believe. There's an option, okay. All right, so yeah. that's that's why. Yeah.
1: But two years, twenty seven and a half million. Oh, is that what it's Okay. Yeah, twenty seven point five for the next two years. So even if you're correct that he's getting tired of Boston, that he wants to change of scenery and that he's tired of Boston media asking him stuff or ragging on him for getting hurt, this, this, and that, you know, what's a great bandaid slash ailment for frustrations like that? 27 and dollars in your pocket. And I just, I don't see how you make that trade work because It's not just the 27 and a half. He's got so many incentives and escalators in his contract. Like, I don't know how that all gets doled out if you end up trading the contract. Like, does the new team have to assume his potential Cy Young vote escalators and all that stuff? I don't know. I assume so. Um, I just think that's too hefty of a price tag for a guy who has missed too much time and who, quite frankly, at this point, is too old. He's going to be 34 next year. We're not talking about a guy who's in his late 20s, early 30s. We're talking about a 34-year-old who can't stay healthy, who, let's face it, kind of relies on velocity to make his game work. That's eventually going to go away. We already kind of saw it as he was making his comeback this year. The velocity wasn't all the way back. I just can't imagine even a team like the Phillies, like you mentioned, even a guy like Dombrowski, who is always desperate to make a, you know, quote unquote, big splash. And, you know, maybe a guy you can dump a bad contract on or swap contracts with. I don't even think he would do it. I think even he would look at it and go, no, I've been through the Chris Sale thing before. I don't want to go through it again. So I I just think this guy is damaged goods at this point. I think the rest of the league – Looks at the Chris sale contract and they go, Phew, thank God we're not paying him because what a waste of money for a guy who's, you know, at the tail end of his career and probably isn't going to pitch 150 innings ever again. So it's not completely out of the question. There's not like a 0% chance that he gets traded. There's always a chance. But do I see it happening realistically? No, I
0: do not.
2: Real quick, just for clarification on his contract. So the escalators are only if he finishes uh, top 10 Cy Young. And that option, which would be for 2025, it's a $20 million vesting option. That kicks in if in the year before, which would be 2024, um, the option would vest if Chris Sale finishes top 10 Cy Young that season, his age 35 season, and does not finish the year on the injured list. So that's how that would vest. So I think that's pretty safe uh, for the receiving team. Now, the Red Sox, I mean, just going on precedent here, uh, they ate half of David Price's contract. So I think that's probably comparable to what we could expect uh, in this situation. But... Charlie,
0: I mean, I'm I'm going to say this much. Uh, I've said this before in a couple episodes. This is Chris Sale. This is one of the pitchers in baseballs very outspoken about wanting to earn the contract that he's made. He hasn't really done that as a member of the Red Sox. Really, I can see a way of him doing that by helping the Boston Red Sox out, opting out, opting out of that contract. But there's no way he's going to do that. He's getting 27 and a half million each of the next two seasons. As you both just mentioned, is a vesting 20 million dollar offer. I did a little research on it myself. Cannot be on the injured list. Must win the, uh, you know, must be in the top ten. The Young. I don't see that happening. Considering we're not even able to probably even see forty quality starts in the next or forty starts in the next two years from him. I I see where you're going with the, you know, maybe we take on the the Kyle Schwarber Castellanos deal. We'd be giving up fifty five million to take on sixty or or a little bit more, depending. And you're spreading that out over three years as opposed to over two. Me personally, I'd rather just be done with it. And maybe you find, you know, you find a team that in 2024 is willing to potentially take on a decent amount of that contract, or or, or even half. Be like like Moneyball, where you know David Justice is getting paid half of his contract by the Yankees to not play in New York, or David Price getting half of his contract played to not play in Boston. I don't think the Red Sox want to take on Castellanos. I think he's a zero. He had a really good 2020 year where he could put up decent numbers. 2021 showed that he could hit. And this year fell flat on his face. Kyle Schwarber is leading the league in strikeouts. I don't want that back. I don't care that you have 37 home runs and 79 RBIs. You're hitting 180. You're a Joey Gallo meets... Gary Sanchez, as far as ability and position eligibility is concerned, I don't want either one of you. Castellanos has no place in Boston. If I'm not mistaken, he's an outfielder, former third baseman, right? Or is he just an outfielder?
2: At this point, just uh, an outfielder. I don't need.
0: I don't need that. Like, I think the Red Sox are going to be able to find formidable solutions for a lot cheaper, and. If Chris Sale comes back at two-thirds of the deal or three-quarters of himself, he's not going to be bad. He's going to be pretty darn good. I'll take three-quarters of Chris Sale at $27.5 million. If he's only pitching $21 million worth out of that $27.5, I'll take it. Uh, and and by then, after 2023, we'll have an even better idea of what's going to happen with the future pitching prospects that we have. But good golly, Miss Molly, if, if he's not going to be here next year... March Madness has been like a long time listener. If Bloom's going to try to figure out a way, it's going to be something that doesn't necessarily benefit Boston. We may have to cough up a pick to make it happen because I don't want to take on any Albatross contracts as a, as a direct result of giving away what I don't think is considered a completely bad contract. Cause if it's 27 and a half million over four years, you're looking at a 100, 109, That's a lot of money. It's only two more years that we have this. Remember when we had David Price for like four or five more years and we're like, oh my God, we cannot wait until 2020, 2021, only a year left, only two years left. We're there right now with Chris Sale. We just have to weather the storm for another couple of years. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. I really don't. So with that, because I could talk about Chris Sale all day, uh, this hot take is going to be, let's see. Is it Terry next? Jason. Jason, yeah, next. excuse me. Okay.
1: Yep. Um, yeah, our next one comes from Brother Bob, um, and he his hot take is sort of a three part question thing. So he asks, "Are pitch clocks necessary? How big should the bases be?" And he said, "How would you rate the performance of Queen Elizabeth? And is she Hall of Fame material?" Obviously, that third question is a little tongue in cheek, but. Let's address the first two. Are pitch clocks necessary? Honestly, I believe they are. Sorry, Max Scherzer. Sorry, Clayton Kershaw. Sorry, Justin Verlander. Pitch clocks are necessary. The game has to be sped up. In the minor leagues, they put the pitch clock in. Minor league games are averaging two and a half hours. That is right on target. That is what you want. That's, that's NFL games. NFL games are two and a half hours. And fans love consuming NFL games. They have no problem sitting down for that. MLB should be the same way, or it should be trying to be the same way. Because I'm sorry, some of these games that go three hours plus, three and a half, four hours even at times, it's ridiculous. And I'm sorry, but as a pitcher, 20 seconds, especially with the pitch now, you shouldn't need any more than that how much time do you really need? We went through this in Boston watching David Price, the the famous, you know, Dennis Eckersley that led to, you know, David Price and Dustin Pedroia yelling at him on the plane. When Eckersley was like, Oh, okay, here comes David Price. Tug, tug, spit, deep breath. What are you going to throw now? Mr. Price tug on the Jersey tug on the Jersey spit deep breath. Look into the sky. It took David Price three minutes To throw pitches. It was absurd. And then he just got tattooed on top of it. So that made it even more frustrating. Speed it up. Tell Clayton Kershaw. Tell Justin Verlander. Max Scherzer. Whoever else wants to be a baby about it. Get your ass on the mound. Get your pitch in. And throw it. Just stop messing around. Stop walking around the diamond. And you know. I don't know. Daydreaming for two minutes. Just get up there and throw. All right. People have things to do. They have places to be. Let's get the game sped up. Number two, how big should the bases be? I mean, they're increasing it by, what, I think three inches now? It's going from 15 inches uh, all around to 18. It's supposed to cut down on collisions. It gives the defenders more space to plant their foot on the bag and throw without getting a player diving into their shins or whatever. Um, Whether or not that actually makes a difference, We'll see, but I wouldn't go too much bigger than that because, you know, you, you don't want them being goofy looking, you know, in, in terms of like, you don't want them taking too much of the infield. So I think 18 inches the way they're going to be now, that should be fine. That's plenty of space. Um, and question three, how would I rate the performance of Queen Elizabeth? Is she a Hall of Famer? <laughs> Look, if we're, if we're talking in sports terms, as a leader, she's first team All-Pro in terms of leaders. Um, you know, I, I talked about it to start the show a little bit, but like Queen Elizabeth did a lot more than people think. Um, a lot of Americans are incorrectly labeling her as a colonizer. She was the exact opposite. She actually sought over the decolonization of a lot of areas. She was big on that. Um, you know, she, she did a lot of positive things in this world that again, just Americans will, you know, just refuse to look at because, you know, it's easy to kind of dump on the monarchy. I get it. You know, it is what it is. But uh, she was a first-team All-Pro Hall of Fame leader of a country. So, um, again, rest in peace to her. But uh, there you go. That's that's Brother Bob's hot take for you.
2: All right. So, in regards to the... Pitch clock and the the extra bases. I think banning the shift is really the the major one in there. He didn't mention that, but um, I've been extremely anti pitch clock for a while. Let's look at it. I guess. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm not. I don't hate three hour baseball games because I love baseball. That's. I mean, that's just kind of how I look at it. And uh, the longer games are either you know, a, a product of tons of offense. If you got a high-scoring game, that's never going to be less than a three-hour game because the innings are longer. The pitch changes might be a little bit more frequent. Um, so if it makes everyone happy, all right, I'm good with it. I don't know what the bases, uh, the oversized bases, are really going to do. I, I think they think it's going to promote more stolen bases it's gonna make uh it's gonna be tougher excuse me on uh pitchers to to get runners out you know so you're gonna see an uptick in that I think the league wants more stolen bases and uh is the Queen Hall of Fame level there's there's one thing that might keep her off of it. Before she died she didn't have Prince Andrew whacked you know, for the Epstein shenanigans. So I you know, I that's the one little area. Um but uh I I don't know. I thought she did a good job.
0: Yeah, um really quickly, I don't really I think respectfully have an opinion on the third one for that. I think that topic was just I don't know. I think uh Jason mentioned it was what, little tongue and cheek. I don't, I don't know how I felt about that, but we'll we'll go into the pitch clock thing being a necessity. There are certain pitchers that, good God, I miss their level of efficiency, and I miss the, I miss their their diligence to just pitching it as quickly as possible. And the first pitcher that comes to my mind is Roy Halladay. Damn it, do I miss someone like that? As soon as that ball went back into that glove, he's like, all right, next pitch. Back in. All right, next pitch. If you watch Roy Halladay back in the day, he is just like this. It is clockwork. And another pitcher right now that pitches very quickly, doesn't take long breaks in between, Sandy Alcantara for the Miami Marlins. I saw it live when I went to Miami a couple weekends ago. Just incredibly efficient. He is the new Roy Halladay as far as efficiency, not extracurriculars. But man, oh man, Sandy, unbelievable. That game lasted two hours and I think 14 or 2 hours, 12 minutes. It was over before it started, and he shut down the Dodgers. He, he gave up one one mistake, a uh, solo home runaway, uh, former Red Sox outfielder slash second baseman Mookie Betts. Other than that, no blemishes, no blips. Overall, do I think that pitch clocks, do I think that they can speed up the course of the game? Obviously. Of course they're going to speed up the course of the game. Baseball games used to last three hours. Now some of them last close to four which is insane. You have the likelihood of them lasting three and a half hours more than they'll last two hours, 50 minutes. So uh, I miss when baseball games lasted three hours. If there's a way to bring it back to 245, three, I'd be much happier with that. Two hours doesn't seem like long enough. Four hours seems too long. Three hours is the right amount. Uh, and how big should the bases be? We've already talked about the inches. If we make the, the bags three, four inches bigger and we still lose stolen bases, I'm going to be a little pissed because I really miss seeing players hit 50 and 60 stolen bases. The Juan Pierre's back in the day, the Ricky Henderson's back in the day. Heck, Nomar Garcia Parra stole 30 bases and hit 30 home runs in a season. I'm pretty sure it was 30-30. You know, uh, Matt Kemp was a home runner two home runs away from being a 40-40 candidate several years ago. I think he had 38 homers and 40 stolen bases. We just don't see players do it anymore. Mookie Betts wheels for days, and he's not stealing bases. Uh, I believe the the stolen bases leader in the National League is John Birdie. And he has like 33. That's what Juan Pierre had before the end of June when he was in his heyday in his prime. So if the increase in bases will bring back stolen bases, I'm all for it. I really miss that. Um, I also, as far as rule changes go... I really hope we get rid of this man on second base. That really annoys me. That did not benefit the Boston Red Sox. That drive that drove me nuts. I hated it. I don't know how you two felt about it, but I thought it was so stupid. Did, were you guys for it or against it?
1: I was all for it. I love the man on second base to start extra innings. I, I hate these 17, 18 inning games that last like six hours now. But the man on second, let's go. Let's wrap it up.
0: So so for me, I always thought, you know, this is baseball. This is the one game where there's no timer. They don't say, okay, let's start the timer at three hours and see what happens. Because if we're going to do that, why bother? After nine innings, let's just call it a tie. Let's just call it a tie. Because the Red Sox did not benefit from having a runner on second this year. We lost the first six or seven games in the playoffs. or uh, sorry, Excuse me, in, in extra time. Like in, in the 10th, 11th inning, we're losing those games. I'm, I think we lost, unless I'm crazy, did we not lose the first six games
2: It was in some, the 10th inning? Something like that, yeah. I, I'm we vehemently against it myself, but... <laughs> I, I'm with you.
0: I, I don't like it at all. Honestly, if, if we're going to do that, let's just call it a tie. You know what? The Red Sox wouldn't look as bad as they did, but th- this man on second base, it really opens the door for just... We're just doing whatever. We're just making a joke with Major League Baseball. Uh, Terry, were you raising your hand? Do you want to say something?
2: Yeah, just real quick. I've mentioned this before, but um, I don't know whose idea it was. Ken Rosenthal was the one talking about it, and um, I'm fairly certain he, he got it somewhere else. But this is kind of radical, and it took me a little while to come around to it. But instead of going to extra innings at all, why not let the tiebreaker be the team that has the most hits? Because what you're doing is you're incentivizing hitting and not all or nothing home runs, you know, strikeouts and home runs. So if you rack up a bunch of hits and you're tied, um, the, the, the winner is the team with the most hits. So it's radical, and I, I would guess that uh, I consider myself a purist, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. And I don't think other purists would ever get on board with that. But uh, it's just something I kind of came around to. So I just wanted J- to throw it out there.
0: Yeah, uh, Jason, was there anything else you want to add for that one? Is this no, I, I would
1: just say, um, I mean team with the most hits i get it what about a team that walks a lot i mean i don't think you should be punished Mm. for that because those don't count as hits so what if a team has like more walks and hits so
2: so walks plus hits
1: yeah maybe walks plus hits versus
0: like strikeouts right like that kind of thing
2: i could sell Uh, for that
0: i'd be cool with that too walks plus hits um and then strikeouts so how would we count that now do do walks and hits get the same value I think intentional walk should count more than walks because you're taking away
2: that, that player's opportunity to get a hit. Well, I think you'd probably see less intentional walks under that whole scenario. I think you're right. Right. <laughs> so there, there'd be something else there.
0: Like, okay, cool. Do we load up the bases here and just walk the runner? crap. This could potentially hurt us in the ninth inning, but that's a, that's a manager's choice. Are you going to, are you willing to risk it? So maybe a hit counts as one, an intentional walk counts as one. Um, uh, and in, uh, uh, a regular walk counts as 0.5 and for every strikeout that you have minus 0.5 i'm just i'm thinking the things out Spit there that balling. can make it interesting yeah. right you yeah. know like just rules to make it interesting if, if the goal is to not have the games go past nine innings that's it give the per jason and, and per what you just said terrence uh terrence terry when's last time i called you terrence wow uh it's because i'm reading your name is terrence on there uh, hits and in- intentional walks get you a certain amount of points. Regular walks get you a different. And then, uh, you know, you're, you're penalized for striking out more. You know, you obviously didn't get the hits. So, you know.
1: I, yeah. Although I will say, it does feel
0: like now we've made it more complicated than just putting <laughs> a guy on second and being like, all right, let's just keep playing. So, I don't <laughs> but know. Ha- haven't we made things more complicated in general over the last three years? Heck, how many teams make the playoffs now? 12. Back in the day, it was eight. So th- things have gotten complicated, anyways um so uh unless there's anything else i'll wrap it up i'm good cool so our last hot take here that we've got tristan casas enjoy our casas goat <laughs> it, it's just funny that we're we're still here we're still talking about this james paxton will have his 13 million dollar option picked up and win 17 games for us next year so I'm going to be very diplomatic with this, so I always appreciate the hot takes because I love interacting with fans and I love I love hearing what people have to say. James Paxton has not been relevant in I don't know how many years. I I'm not even going to count the time that he was in New York because it it wasn't it didn't even feel real. He had one year where he was good outside of that one fantastic year in Seattle. Every other year, he's been battling injuries. The last two years, he has pitched six times, and in that time, he's one and one. Three years, six starts. On what planet is he getting you 17 wins? It, it. I don't know what was the harder part to take in for that, but picking up the option at this point for a 33-year-old pitcher that has thrown 21 innings in his last three seasons, he's won 16 games in his last eight, Four years. You think he's going to beat that? And he's going to get paid $13 million? I just... It begs the question. If we're going to give him that money, are we still also paying Nate Evaldi and Michael Waka and all these other guys that want to come back to play in Boston? I'm curious. If, if, if you, sir, are listening and you hear that, Casas Goat, I would love for you to at me and tell me your thoughts on that because... I don't think that option is getting picked up. I think it was a horrible contract. 17 games won't even be the number of wins he gets for the rest of his career in Major League Baseball, let alone 2023. That's my, my piece. I will hand it off to Jason. If
1: the Red Sox pick up his option for $13 million, then Haim Bloom is dumber than I tell people. And I tell people he's pretty dumb. Um Boy, people are just so desperate for the James Paxton signing to work out somehow. Let's just face the facts, folks. It was a massive failure. It was a complete waste of time and money. James Paxton is not going to win 17 games for anybody. Um, Like Charlie said, he may not win 17 games the rest of his career the way he's going. This guy can't stay on the field. So – and he's not exactly a spring chicken, okay? You know, the guy's going to be, what, 34 next year? So same age – yeah, same age as Chris Sale. So yeah, at least Chris Sale, I think, has a little bit more left in the tank. I don't know what James Paxton has left, if anything. I hope to God they don't pick up his $13 million option. Now, look, if he decides to come back on the player option for $4 million – Okay, you know what I'm warming up to that because again, what else do you got? Your only pitching prospect is Brian Bayo. So you might as well bring back 34 year old broken ass James Paxton for four million and see if you can squeeze at least, I don't know eight or nine wins out of him, but 17, he's not gonna win 17 games. No shot. So I hope to God. They don't pick up the $13 million option. And no,
0: he's not winning 17 games. Not at all. I'm sitting here. I'm sorry, Jason. I don't mean to cut you off at the tail end. I'm laughing because I'm sitting there thinking 17 games, eight or nine would be a blessing. He's not even going to pitch 17 times. How is he going to win 17 games? (laughs) Nine,
1: Nine wins would be a gift from God for this guy at this point. Like, no, no shot.
2: Well, here's what I think will make it even less likely. I think if the Red Sox pick up this year's $13 million option, they have to pick up the one for the next year as well. So they'd be picking up two years worth, a total of $26 million. The only way he comes back is if it's on that uh, $4 million player option. And I think he'll probably gamble and try to get a Waka-Heaney-type contract from another team. And I think even um, um, Tampa pitcher there, Kluber, um, signed for around 10. So I think he's going to be looking at four and saying, I could probably do a little bit better. Now, Paxton hasn't pitched a full season since 2019, and I think even then he was on and off the injured list uh, here and there with I know one of them was the glute muscle, which I joked about recently. And um, so very unlikely James Paxton pitches for the Boston Red Sox in 2023.
0: I mean, I think we're all pretty much aligned on that one. We just don't see it happening. Like there's a higher probability of, I don't know, one of us maybe making our major league debut. I, I just, I don't see it happening for, for PAX. I just, I can't do it. I, I just can't do it. Uh, anything else that you gents want to add for this evening's show?
2: Nope.
0: Nope. Right on it for me. Well, Jason, Terry, I want to appreciate you for, for joining, uh, another fun episode of, of hot takes. This one definitely ended on a high note where we're all laughing and smiling and having a good time, but that kind of goes a line, uh, with what the, uh, the last series was with the Red Sox and the Orioles. Man, I mean, the Red Sox did what the Patriots couldn't do, and that was put up a football score. Uh, so, you know, props to them. We ended up winning by the amount of runs that we scored uh, in Game Two. That was the difference. We each won a one game, a one run game, and then we had the blowout in the middle. So, to our fans, thank you so much. We appreciate you wherever it is that you listen to the Bastards of Boston Baseball podcast on Apple, on Spotify. Wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, we thank you, we appreciate you, and we look forward to interacting and chatting with you soon. Everyone have a great night. Take care.